Welcome to the Hunt Harder Podcast, where we will give you the strategies, tools, and tactics to be the best hunter you can be. Now let's get this started. All right, so we have my dad on this episode. The man, the myth, the legend, the OG. If you don't know what OG means, it means original gangsta. Mr. Randy Path, and this was such a fun episode for me to record. Uh, I, we actually had recorded a, an episode last week, and the, the audio just didn't come out very well. But uh, this was such a treat for me, and we'll ha- actually we'll have him on more for sure. Um, but my dad is is easily uh, the the most accomplished hunter that I personally know. He's uh, gosh, throughout his entire life, he'd taken uh, mule deer and sheep and goats and caribou and elk and you know just just about uh uh, you know as many animals as you can possibly think of but uh you know we do we did go into some uh physical preparation uh he tells a story a number of stories but the the one that you're going to hear first is a sheep hunt back in 1997 i believe and he goes into the the preparation and uh you know detail as far as uh units uh hunting units and uh, kind of what he did as far as getting prepared for that hunt because bighorn hunts are very physically and mentally demanding. And um, uh, yeah, so but yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, as much as I did recording it. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to shut up now and let you guys listen to the episode. Take care. Late 90s, we drew our bighorn sheep tags down here west of Canyon City. And uh, we basically did the same thing. We did a lot of scouting, and there was even more information back then. I do remember eating, um, you know, four or five, six little meals a day, staying completely away from things that, uh, you know, would uh, add weight to you or add fat. And then, you know, once again, doing the wind spritz out in front of the house and uh, doing that. So let's, that's, let's. Let's go into let's let's take that hunt in particular, and I what I kind of want uh, people to understand is the process that goes into uh, you know like a uh, if you're if, if you've been lucky enough to draw a bighorn sheep tag, and uh, you know talk about the process uh, as far as uh, you know what happened you drew the tag, and you know the process as far as the physical process. And then take us, lead us all the way up to the, to the kill shot, if you don't mind, you know, this, you know, so from, from the scouting, as far as maybe even why you picked, uh, decided to pick that unit in particular, and then take us through that process of, uh, you know, the scouting throughout the year, uh, understanding where the animals are, uh, maybe talk about the stats and, uh, leading up all the way to the, to the actual kill itself. Well, we had moved down here, um, from Denver down to the Canyon city area back in 94, or 95. And I don't remember where Dan and I were putting in before then, but, um, we knew that you had to have at least three preference points in order to draw anywhere at the time. But there was five archery tags available here, West of Canyon city for bighorn sheep. Once I got down here and started scouting, then we, we started putting in here and we drew, I think in 96 or 97, we had three points by then. And like I said, early on, we could look at the stats and you couldn't pull them up on a computer. Then you had to go down to the vision of wildlife in Denver and pull, have them pull files and check them out to you. So you could look at the stats. And as we looked at the stats down here every year, there was only six or seven guys that had three points that were putting in for them five tags, maybe eight guys. Now that didn't mean that somebody couldn't take their preference points because preference points are preference points. They're not just for a certain area. They're a sheep preference point. You can put in anywhere with any weapon or whatever you want. But typically most guys stayed in the same, the same spot today, that same area here we are in 2021, probably, you know, 23, 24 hours, 24 years later so I think that there's probably four tags available in that unit. You're going to have a hundred bow hunters putting in for those four tags and a variety of different. Now they've got 
weighted points. So there are some guys that have maybe tried to draw that tag for 20 years and still can't. We knew after our third or fourth year we were going to draw. So we did. And I think it was 97. We drew the tags. We knew about it in probably May or June, the season. And they still make it rough on the bow hunter, I think. I don't know. I haven't looked at this year's, but I'm sure it's probably the same. Uh, the season was basically the month of August. It's 100 degrees. Um, you've got to prepare for that. The other thing you've got to prepare for in bow hunting and especially, um, well, you hope you don't you know, mess it up during sheep season, but you got to prepare for failure, you know, all of the time. It's almost like when you're playing baseball, if you can hit that baseball and, and get a base hit three out of 10 times, you're considered a success. So 70% of the time you fail and it's that way in, in bow hunting as well. You've got to prepare mentally that, you know, one out of 10 stocks, you may get a shot. And so you got to prepare for the, the wind to mess you up. You mess it up because of sound, the deer or the sheep or the elk move or whatever. But anyways, we started scouting. I started scouting uh, in between work. I think I was working swing shift at the time. So I was working from 2 or 3 in the afternoon to 10 or 11 at night. And I'd get up early in the morning and Sometimes you'd, it would take about 45 minutes to an hour to drive way to the west end of the unit, but the unit actually was right here around the house as well, and there was actually some sheep here, but the way they had cut off the, the unit boundaries, you couldn't hardly hunt those. Sometimes they were over the boundary, but most of the time they weren't, so we chose to go up what's called Bighorn Canyon next to the Arkansas River, and uh, I did a lot more scouting, obviously, than than Dan did. And then I took you and, and Adam along as well as I went up through uh, Grape Creek and Pine Gulch and them type of areas. And I remember it was the week right before season started on a Saturday. And, and uh, I wasn't finding much up that Pine Gulch, Grape Creek area. And you and I came out of there and we found, I don't know, it was six, seven, eight rams all on the, what would have been the north side of Pine Gulch, not too far um, you know, up the, the bench in the cliffy area there and, and some really good ones. And, um, uh, these were archery tags. And so, uh, we found a horseshoe and we called it kind of called that area, the horseshoe area or something. And so we went out of there and actually opening day, Dan and I didn't go in there. We stayed along the Arkansas river and highway 50 because there was more sheep there and I'd seen a lot more during the scouting during the summer. And so uh, we started scouting. We started looking. We would, uh, since we were hunting basically out of the house, we could take empty plastic milk jugs, fill them full of water, freeze them during the night, put them in our backpack. And that was basically our water for the day. But it was hitting up. You didn't have no, you didn't have no, it was nothing that was, it was, <laughs> you just had to do what you had to do. So, uh, you know, and so we, uh, we would head out of here and we'd head up some of them canyons from highway 50 once we had sheep located and, but you know, we weren't seeing the sheep and, you know, they always say that the animals know when season is and all of that. I, I don't really want to believe that. I think it was just, I seen times like that during the summer where it seemed like, it wasn't that they were disappearing necessarily as I just wasn't in the right place at the right time and, and happened to see them with my binoculars, I think is, is uh, more of what was going on. But for the first five days, we didn't, we weren't seeing the sheep that I'd seen all summer and that he'd seen, you know, and some of them were, you know, standing a hundred yards or less off of the road during the summer and we just weren't finding them. But uh, one day we kind of split up probably about, half a mile to a mile from each other and went up different canyons. And I found a great big one that uh, had a yellow uh, radio collar on the vision of wildlife had probably put on him years ago. And um, I tried to get to him. I got about a hundred yards. He was by himself. He was huge. I'm sure he was Boone and Crockett, but I was a long ways from the truck and the, and the river down there where we were at. And so it got dark and I just couldn't get close enough to him and I didn't want to spook him. So I come out of there and I remember drinking about a gallon of water once I got down there in about five minutes and about got sick and, and all of that. But, uh, 
the next day we couldn't, you know, I went back up in there and I, I couldn't find him. I don't know where he went or, you know, the wind might've shifted and spooked him. And, you know, those old animals, once they get a, a snoop full of human scent in their bedroom or their living room or where they live, it's really hard to, you know, they'll go off into seclusion or somewhere else maybe. And it really gets hard to try to, you know, to try to get them. And so, um, anyways, so I, you know, so I obviously, uh, sorry to cut you off. I, you know, I remember you dragging me along. I would have been like 13 at the time. And, you know, <laughs> I just remember, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's important. I want people to understand how much actual time that you, you, you put into scouting and, and in general, how much time it takes to really become a successful hunter. And so we're talking, you would get off or you would get off work, go to bed, wake up. Um, you're talking, I mean, most of the days probably during the week and you're doing that for months and then, and then season gets there. And we're talking about an area also that's a super rough country. We're talking not a whole lot of great spots to glass. You're not above timberline. You have uh, the terrain down there. There's, uh, you know, lots of pinions and junipers and uh, cactus and, and uh, you know, uh, I guess loose rock type stuff. And, I mean, really gnarly stuff. And just to get into position to, to glass is a chore a lot of times. And, um, you know, so season gets there and you spend five days, you don't really see anything. And, you know, you finally, you finally see one, a really nice one and you, you can't get to them. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, you decide to, to go back because you don't want to be up there obviously with, with no water because really, really bad stuff can happen when that happens. But, um, I guess, you know, I guess if you can articulate how much time, um, and that, and, you know, and not to mention at that point, you were already a successful hunter and you'd, you'd you'd taken a lot of really great, uh, animals before that. Um, and just kind of, I guess, want to emphasize how much time it takes to be successful hunting in general. Um, but when you're not guided and you're even, you know, I guess increasing the difficulty when you're talking about a bighorn sheep and, you know, there are not obviously as many bighorns as there are other species as far as elk and deer. So it, it becomes that much more difficult and challenging to to lo just locate the animals in general and then the terrain makes it that much more difficult so i guess maybe if you can articulate that part of it um a little bit better so well because of it. the fact and part of the reason that we picked this unit was uh the ability for me dan was still up in denver working for the sheriff's department so the ability for me to be able to be right here in the unit and scout it every day plus the fact that I could talk to other people uh, that had been around here much longer or people that were driving. I mean, I was right here at the unit, so I wasn't missing a whole lot if I was getting at it every day and driving up the canyon and that. And so uh, that played in a huge factor where we put in with the fact that why should we put in for it to a unit that might be uh, maybe there was bigger sheep in it or something or for whatever reason uh, back then it was just easier to draw. So I can't imagine that coming into play, but, uh, there were big sheep in this unit back then. I mean, there was, I remember Rams that were called the red collar Ram and the, you know, and the yellow collar Ram and, and all of that kind of stuff that were all, you know, all booners and, and things like that. But, um, anyways, that played into it a lot for the fact that I was right here in the unit because, you know, if you'd put down the, the, the fact that the hunting season, I think was, I don't think it was 30 days, but it was probably 25 days, something like that. Um, and then the amount of time from the time we knew I was scouting even before we put in for the tags because I would see them up here then. So I'm sure that somewhere between five and 10 times more effort was put in because I lived here in the scouting than the actual hunt. And, uh, so, um, it's, it's absolutely imperative that you scout or you have, you know, somebody else scouting for you. And this is all, for the most part, it's all public ground. Some of the access points required you to make a phone call or whatever to see if you could park and cross people's land or whatever. But for the most part, all of the ground that we were hunting was public. 
And so there was also uh, guys that might be hunting deer or elk, you know, archery hunting as well uh, towards the end of season, you know, as that season came in. And so um, in any event, that's a um, – what did you want to me to talk about up oh, to the – No, yeah, so that, no, that's good. I, I, you know, I, I think it's funny because, you know, we're going to get into mental toughness here in a second is, you know, mental toughness – you know, if you think about it, really didn't become a, a phrase or it wasn't really a thing that people talked about um, until, I don't know, not that long ago where it's become a thing. It was just that, you you know, you did things that were just generally tough. And, you know, people, you know, used to be, you were just tough just to, you know, you had to be tough just to survive, but it was nothing that people aspired to be, you know, and that's why, you know, I think it's, you know, it's funny because, um you know, it's hard, it's hard for you to, to talk about it because you're just tough. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, you know, I, you know, I remember and not even thinking about it, you know, you know, hunting with you at a really young age, whether we were stocking up on an antelope or, you know, scouting with you on this particular hunt you're talking about. I mean, I remember just kind of falling behind you and you're crawling and through cactus and it didn't seem to bother you, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, as a kid, you know, I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't know any better, I guess. And I just kind of followed along. And, you know, so those are kind of things nowadays, I think just really, you know, I know we guide a lot of people in it. Um, you know, that bothers people that crawl through a cactus, you know, and it bothers people to, to be uncomfortable and feel uncomfortable. And, you know, we're talking about a hunt like this, you know, there's so many things from a, from a mental toughness standpoint, that come into play, you know, it's, you know, first of all, you, you scout all year, you think, you know, where the animals are going to be and you spend five days, you don't see anything. It's like finding a needle in a haystack, but you know, and just having the, I guess the, the fortitude to be able to, to realize, look, I've been in this position before with other animals. I've read stories about guys that'll go for weeks without seeing a, uh, a single sheep, uh, or a single goat or an elk or whatever you're trying to hunt. And just having the understanding, like, I, well, I, I can't stop. You know, it's like I might not have the opportunity to do this again. Um, and just being able to, to just keep going and not quitting. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, a thing that I, I guess uh, I, I want people to understand that, you know, what goes into a successful hunt or a successful hunter is a lot more, I think, than people realize. And the amount of time it takes. And they obviously learn, you know, directly from you. Um, so I, I, I got, I got, I was able to see it, you know, firsthand what actually takes to, to, I guess, uh, get to the point where you're, you're consistently successful at, at what you're going out to achieve. So, um, yeah, so pick up where you, where you left off as far as, you know, you, 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 uh, you ran out of water, you came back down and now we gotta, we gotta go try to find a, another sheep here. Well, Dan went, uh, he, he had to go back home to work and so, you know, I stayed down here and was planning on going every day. And so I would get up early in the morning and I don't remember, I think it was on the seventh day or the eighth day or something like that. I got up early and I actually went up the Pine Gulch area, which was off of um, Bighorn Canyon in the Arkansas. It was back further south into the unit. I made my parking spot, went up glass, 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 and I finally found two rams kind of where you and I had seen the ones a few days before, but on the opposite side, the South side of that little Valley and they're on this mountain. But the problem was, is it was about 11 or 1130 and I had to be to work by two. So I would take my work clothes with me in case <laughs> I got way behind so that I could run in. I was actually working at the, the women's facility in Canyon city at the time. And so if I had to run back and get ready at work, then I could. And so I knew that I'd never have time to get up there and scout or stock and do the things that I needed to. I just hope they'd stay. And, you know, you got to keep in mind that during the summer when you're scouting, uh, it was a rare occasion when you'd find one one day and then think you'd watch him bed down that night and the next day you may never see him again. Or you yeah. may find him a mile from there. I mean, it was just crazy. Of and I, well, I, I remember there were sheep that we'd spotted that that had traveled like twelve miles or right. I don't know, probably further than that. Uh, between, I guess the, the maybe in a month's period or something like that. But no, it was in less than a week. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There was times because they, the red collar ram that was up there and the two yellow ones and then the one that, that I actually stocked up on there, that was a completely different yellow yellow collar ram that was real massive and broomed back. But uh, um, in any event, uh, once I uh, got to work and the next morning I, you know, I, I got home at midnight or whatever and I couldn't hardly sleep. And, but I slept for a little bit, got all my gear together, and I got up there in the dark and got on the backside of that mountain that they were on. And I climbed up the backside kind of in the dark. And by the time that um, the sun came up, I was at the top. Thankfully, the thermals were going up and everything seemed to be, um, you know, just what you needed as far as uh, the wind and, and all of that. And so um, I started. But, you didn't, you, but you, you didn't even know they were there. Well, I knew they were there from the day before, but who knows whether they were there then. Right. You so know, you're taking, it, I mean, you're taking a little bit of a chance there. Well, you know, I seen them the day before and I may never see them again, but once you find them, you know, you've got to make the, op, you know, the effort to, you know, hope that they're still there. And that happened to be in a unit where there was very few people that would ever go back in there and spook them or anything. There just wasn't that many uh, uh, people back in that area. So anyways, it took, I think it was less than an hour and they were down below me a couple hundred yards. I seen them and uh, I watched them bed down. <clears throat> it was a smaller ram. And then the one that I got, I watched them bed down. Um, I got to about a hundred yards and then that shale and cactus and all of that. It was fairly good cover as far as at least having some pinions and junipers and that there was no big pines or, you know, or anything like that. It was a, a shaley mountainside. And, and I also found out that a lot of times with sheep, it doesn't bother them when they hear shale sliding and different things like that. It's, it's maybe when they hear metal on metal or they hear something that's not what they're used to hearing, you know, when they're up there in their habitat. So that's what you have to be careful of is that, you know, you don't bang things that, that ting and, and stuff like that that's out of their element. They, I've seen them not even hardly move when they hear shale or a rock come loose or anything like that. But anyways, I took off my, uh, my boots at about 100 yards. I put on a, um, an extra pair of socks, made sure my pack was off. Had my All I had with them was my bow. We didn't have range finders then. The only thing we had was these big long ones that you look through like a monocular, just one eye. You focused on what the thing was you wanted to shoot at, and then you looked on the outside, and it would line up. And the accuracy was not real good. It all depended on whether your focus got right. In fact, I think I've still got that in the basement somewhere. But uh, I didn't have that with me. I mean, at those those years, you just kind of knew what was 20, 30, 40 yards, 50. You just kind of, I mean, not, hardly anybody back in those days would ever shoot over 50 yards or so uh, that I remember, 50, 60 yards uh, you know, at an animal, you got closer than that. But, uh, I got within, I, I think it was 35 yards and he was bedded away from me looking down the hill. And, so dad, uh, sorry to cut you off. Talk about the, the, so I guess people, like, so I've, you've hunted a, obviously a lot of areas and, you know, I've hiked and hunted in a lot of different types of terrain, that particular terrain down there, you know, I'm talking rougher than, uh, you know, Sangre Chris, you know, really super high elevation because of the cactus, the loose ground. Um, I mean, it's just super nasty stuff. So you, uh, you took your, 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 your shoes off and I'm just thinking in my mind, I'm like that terrain up there with, you know, and explain why you do that. But that's that, I mean, that's, that's nasty. Well, it's not real high. I don't think anything's over 9,000 feet there. I think everything's right. around eight. There's not a, you know, there, you're not even anywhere near a, I know, a 14,000 foot peak or the sand graves or any of that. But it is, you know, the main thing is the cactus and the shale and there's nothing flat there. Uh, it is fairly steep in that, but you can just feel a lot better when you got two pairs of socks on rather than. And I think even back then, I think I still had, um, 
Converse tennis shoes or something. If I, but <laughs> yeah. I can't even I remember. They were red and, wh- red and white Converse. Yeah, I remember. something like that. But I took them off because I thought it was making too much noise. So it took me a little while, you know, to get down there. And the main thing when you're stalking like that uh, and you've got to get, you know, uh, 30 yards or 40 or for me, anything over 40 was probably going to live because I couldn't shoot that pro line bow uh, any further. In fact, I wasn't even shooting the pro line then, to be honest with you, I had picked up a, uh, Hoyt, Hoyt. uh, and I ended up selling it right after that. But that Hoyt that year, um, that year that I drew the sheep tag, I killed, a, a 78 inch antelope that year. I killed my sheep that year and I killed 190 inch mule deer, uh, that year with that bow. If I remember right, I can't, I'm not quite sure. But I, I was a, that Hoyt, I think it was, I don't remember what it was called, but it pulled 80 pounds and I had it set at about 78 or 76 or something like that. And uh, so um, anyways, I got to about 30, 35 yards and calmed my, my breathing down as best I could and kept looking at him and picking out a spot as he was bedded down and, uh, you know, kept telling myself that, you know, and I had as I remember, I had uh, three pins. I had a 15-yard a pin, a 25, and a 35-yard pin. And so I had determined he was 35 yards. And I sat there and I waited and, and waited and waited. And, you know, and I was afraid that the wind was going to start to swirl. And so I came up again. You've got to be ready to be able to, this is gun or bow, not necessarily always shoot from a, you know, a prone or standing or kneeling, you've got to practice it, you know, at different, um, um, shooting positions, different shooting positions in that. And so uh, I came up on my, my knees and there was a little tuft of hair kind of behind his shoulder there. And, you know, put that pin there shot and it went right there. And I still remember, you know, I was shooting downhill at a, Oh, maybe a 30 degree angle, but I remember it disappearing right about in that tough. And apparently when it went through, it must've caught a rib or something on the other side and it shot and it blew right through him. And I remember seeing that arrow arc out down the hill. So it went through him down and then it caught that rib and it shot up and then it went down the hill. And I remember hearing it ting like that as he was running around the edge with the other ram, he ran around the edge of the, the hill that, uh, that we were on. Cause I was kind of on a, I don't know, a, a turn point there or something. And so, uh, he disappeared and I thought I heard him fall, uh, but I waited, I went back up and, and picked up my backpack and got my tennis shoes on. And, you know, you say that you wait, um, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, but I doubt that I waited that long. I was too excited and I knew, from, you know, past hunts and stuff that, you know, that uh, I'm sure it was either a game getter or double X 75, you know, aluminum arrow, uh, that with that. I think I had sad broadheads then rather than the muzzies that I used for years, but um, I knew where it had went that he was, he was more than likely done. So I went down there and as usually happens, initially I didn't see any blood. And then I started seeing a little bit on the rocks and a little bit. And then, finally found him there. And I remember that other Ram stayed there while I took pictures and gutted him and, and all of that other, probably the whole time he stood there at two or 300 yards, uh, and watched me. Uh, and then I got him down to the little Creek there and, and got the meat and everything out and, uh, actually got him home and in the freezer. Uh, and then, you know, as I remember, I had work that day, I called Dan somewhere in there and, uh, you know, I told him about it and, and what it went on. And then I think he came down. Well, he obviously came down after his four or five days work. I don't remember if we were on four day shifts then or five, I can't remember, but he killed his, I think mine was killed about eight days in and his was killed about 15 days in. We found a, a ram sitting up about two or three, uh, it was probably 300 yards off of highway on this rock cliffy area and he 
went up the draw next to it and got above him and ended up uh, getting that ram. So, um, tell, tell tell us about you know what it felt like uh, after you got your ram. I mean, was it? I imagine you're probably pretty relieved, but um, and I think if if I remember right, that ram's in the it was in the one seventies. It was a good, really good ram. No, right? yeah, it was a full curl ram, but he wasn't one seventy. He didn't quite make one seventy. It looks like he does okay. from it because he's, uh, you know, he's got better than 15-inch bases. And as I remember, I think he was 30, 34 inches long and that. It takes, you know, guys, and I think it's just just the way it is. You know, people either overestimate or exaggerate their kills sometimes. And uh, so it does probably look maybe a little bit little bit better than that. But in reality, he, he didn't make 170, but... I, I don't know. I think that, that, that bow hunting and with the advent of all of these hunting shows and all of that other, you know, that they always have somebody with them. Uh, they're never alone uh, or rarely, I guess maybe there might be a couple shows where guys have got their own camera and setting it up and, and all of that other. And it is fun sharing it with other people. But back then, and I share now from time to time sheds and, and different racks and hunts and that, and, uh, you know, I do get a lot of comments and different things and, and that, but, uh, back then it just seemed like that it was, a it was a solo thing that you did. And the satisfaction seemed to be in the fact that, uh, you didn't do anything better than anybody else. You're trying to show them up or, or get something bigger or better. It was the fact that you had, had beaten the odds and you had done better than, um, you know, maybe what you did the time before, there was satisfaction in you, the fact that you had accomplished what you'd set out to do and you didn't give up. You stayed after it. You'd done your homework. And there's just too many times today that I see, you know, people get involved in this sport and because they've been successful in something else, whatever that might be, that, or what their hobby was, they seem to act like this is like an outline. If I do, you know, I have a goal, I go through A, points one, two, three, B points one, two, three, and that I'm going to eventually get down to C, D or whatever and be successful. And that's not the way it is in this. You may do everything right. You may do everything that you can and you still don't get it. And you still maybe not get, you know, what you want and, uh, you know, but you've done everything that you could. I mean, I remember missing, I've killed some big mule deer, but I remember missing, um, two of them in particular that were both over 200 inches and never seen them again. Uh, one was on the Eastern Plains and one was in the mountains. And, uh, you know, you just don't get another opportunities and it can get to you. Uh, it can, you know, start to well up on you, man. I wish I'd have done this right or that right or whatever. And so I have a tendency and especially now is, you know, I'm starting to look for these shed antlers of the deer, you know, around the house and that it does help you know, at times when, you know, something comes over you that, man, I wished I'd have done this or that, you know, to pick up the sheds from, you know, a big deer or, or get out and start walking and try to, uh, you know, find another shed from a deer here or there or whatever it is and maybe get your mind off of it. But you can't go into this thinking that, you know what, as long as I do this, this, and this, or I drew this tag or this special tag or that, that I'm going to be successful in this. You may do everything that you can and still uh, not meet, not meet your goal. I mean, it, it, I think that's, that's important. Yeah. So I think that, well, I know that the, the, you know, we, especially, you know, people on videos and people talk, they're really passionate about emotional about sometimes when they talk about hunting, especially after they've, uh, you know, done something like you're talking about, you've, you've put all this work in and time and energy and you finally get the opportunity and, and you, you judge the distance, right. And you make a good shot and you take the animal and just the, I guess the, the emotional part is, is hard to describe and it's hard to articulate. I think sometimes because um, you can go a whole season you can miss stuff. You can miss blow all these different opportunities just because the wind shifts or just because you, you slipped on a little bit of shale and it, it spooked a, a bigghorn or whatever animal or, you know, what you, you fill in the blank. And, 
like you said, you're not guaranteed, you know, all you're really trying to do is put yourself in the best position possible to, to create an opportunity. And then, um, and that's where, you know, you, you know, there's some luck involved, you know, and yeah, you know, I think that, you, you know, it's a probably an overused phrase, but ma- making your own luck is something I feel like is, is just a byproduct of work ethic and just keeping after it and not quitting and, um, and that's, that's something that I, I know that's made you a successful hunter. And, um, I think, yeah. And I think especially people that don't understand, or maybe just getting into hunting, um, it can be extremely discouraging, you know, when you're, you get yourself in a position, you think you've done everything right. And you either make a poor shot, you slip. I mean, there's all sorts of things that can go on. And that's why you see people that get really emotional after they've, uh, they've taken an animal, um, or, <laughs> emotional in a negative way after they've maybe missed something and um so i yeah so the the i guess um i guess maybe I'll talk a little bit about the yeah what you felt like and actually what kept you going you know after you've missed something and also uh talk about uh and it, it doesn't have to be the, the sheep i i kind of picked that one because i know the amount of work it, it it you know that's put into that but talk a little bit about the, the mental toughness part and the emotional side of uh, miss and and even getting something that you've uh, you've tried to get and and succeeded. Well, I think that I already brought up the fact of those two mule deer because I uh, um, I remember them most, and then that what we call, in fact, I recently put the pictures out of that big brow tine whitetail, and you know I never had him any less any less than about a hundred yards or so when I finally did see him and and that, and so it. Uh, I don't know if it, you know, to be honest with you, and and I'm just straight up with it, but I, I don't know that it is for everybody. Uh, I think that, you know, that it uh, it's just not. There's just some people that's not being mean to them or whatever that are not prepared and they're not ready uh, mentally, you know, to do this kind of stuff. And, to, I mean, how many people can really hit the baseball three times out of ten at 90-some miles an hour? They just can't do it so not everybody has that talent or that ability or we're given that gift i think you can get you know enjoy something maybe not have the gift and get better at it but uh there's just some people that are never going to be able to hit that 90 mile an hour fastball or even foul one off as bad as they maybe want to they can spend time in the cage get all the coaches they can make themselves as ready as possible but they're they're just not they just don't have it. And so mental toughness, you know, how you get to that point, uh, I guess everybody's a little bit different, but it's how bad you want it. Um, and so that's why I brought up early on in this conversation about, you know, if your, uh, if your goals are just, to, to sit, you know, over a feeder and shoot hogs or shoot whitetail deer, uh, or even, uh, turkeys or whatever it is, and that's your extent of your hunting, I, I don't berate the fact that you've got a bunch of those on the wall or pictures or whatever it is, but that's a far cry from the hunts that we're talking about with sheep and goat and, uh, and dad's moose in Alaska and, and those type of different things that, uh, you know what, you haven't kind of raised them in your backyard or put out food plots or put out feeders or something like that. And again, I, that's all cool, but it's sure a different type of hunt. And we know that as people come out of the the other states to come out here to Colorado and really, you know, shoot, you know, mule deer or pronghorn on the eastern plains uh, that are wild. Uh, if you miss a great big one, your chances of getting another shot at him is not going to be great. It's just uh, it's just not. Uh, and so uh, how how you can hone that ability or whatever, I guess that. You know, it's just through sitting down and saying, how bad do I want the, you know, to try to get that animal? How bad do I really want it? Yeah. And so some people, they're just not made that way. You know, and there's no reason to, uh, to get upset with it or whatever. They, uh, they just don't take it, uh, you know, that, uh, that seriously, I guess, or maybe they don't understand, you know, what it takes to, to be successful with a variety of animals and, uh, and that, you know, I've got, you know, at one time I had over 3,000 sheds and deadheads and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, people want to know, well, how did you, 
well, Jiminy Christmas, I don't know how many tennis shoes and, and pair of boots that I went, went through to, you know, to find all of that stuff. And, you know, there's, there's going to be a really good one just over the next hill, just over the next hill, just, over the, you know, my first, my first yeah. bighorn sheep was within a couple of weeks after mom and I got married in 1980. And that was a, that was a rough hunt for, for grandpa and I, we weren't really ready for that sheep to go down two or three miles from the truck. And I remember I about got too dehydrated, got all, um, you know, got to the truck and then drank water like crazy into, or the, I think that we still had the 68 Bronco or the Wagoneer or something, but, you know, got it back below the hill. So it was, uh, rather than three miles, it was probably three quarters of a mile, but, uh, you know, it, um, that, that hunt was, was tough as well. I think it was, uh, you know, kind of the second week in September or something like that. And, uh, you know, I started to understand even back then, you know, what it took, uh, you know, to really be successful. There was a guy in our church back in the seventies that he was really successful. He had the money to go to Africa and, you know, to do a lot of different things. And I remember, you know, kind of being a little bit jealous of the fact that he was able to, to get on a lot of different properties and, uh, you know, was able to seemingly hunt a lot more than, than we were you know, we're able to, but he did, he took me from time to time and he took dad and we duck hunted. And, and I remember him and dad hunting whitetails on the Platte river, you know, years ago and, you know, and some of that. And so, uh, um, but it, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, it's made for everybody, but if it is, and you find yourself where you, you know, uh, you really want to do this, don't assume because you look at pictures or, you watch these TV shows and you see, you know, these TV shows, they probably got hours and hours of film that they've edited down to just them talking about it, scouting a little. And, you know, then obviously they 99% of them obviously have success on there. And uh, you really have no idea what they really went to at that point. The one thing I can't applaud a lot of them for is if they're, trying to video all of this stuff. I don't know how they do that with all of the camera stuff and yeah. the people and all of that other that they got with them. And they're trying to video all of this. I got, I got respect for that, I guess, but uh, I guess I don't have as much if they are trying to portray themselves um, something that they're really, really not. And especially when a guide or an outfitter has pretty much done all the work. And all they've had to do, all they've had to yeah. do is, is sit in the stand or sit in the blind. And even on a, you know, even on an Alaskan hunt, you know, uh, where you do have to be in great shape and be able to, if you're hunting doll sheep up there in a lot of them areas or, uh, or moose or caribou, I mean, those can be really physically taxing hunts. And if you're not ready, uh, you're not going to, you know, be able to go the places that you need to go and, and do that. You know, and you may have to pay an outfitter a lot more money if you've got it to make yourself more comfortable because you're not in physical condition to do some of the other things. But, um, you know, if you really want it that bad, you will get prepared uh, mentally and your mind. And getting prepared means scouting. So if, in fact, you're having a tough time getting over hills, going different places, all of that other scouting, and you're going to have that tough of a time during the, the hunting season. So, you know, what are you going to do to prepare yourself? And, uh, again, it's not for everybody. Uh, it's just uh, not hunting has changed. There's a lot more people, you know, out there trying it now. Uh, the tags are, are not readily available. We were fortunate because we lived in Colorado with, you know, nine or 10 big game species and, you know, and that kind of a thing. And so, and also some of some people just weren't, uh, you know, they weren't born. They were born into the southern states or somewhere else where they didn't have the, you know, the opportunities that that we had. In fact, I was on the phone a week or two ago with a guy that had a sheep tag um, in the same area that Dan and I did in 97. And that's when I met him. And uh, I think that he's probably near 60 now or, or right there. And uh 
you know, he can still, he's in great shape and you know who it is, Brett. And uh, he gets around and he, yeah. he wanted, he was going through some pictures of, you know, when we helped him get his sheep out down on the Spanish peaks and the, I had actually recorded the, the uh, message he left on the, the phone, the phone here at the house on our message machine when he killed that sheep and uh, let me know he needed help. And uh, he was going back and he said it, the days of those, those days of just sheep hunting and not seeing as many people and enjoying it and, and that are gone. Uh, and he's on a lot of public ground here in Colorado and, um, and he's seeing it, you know, go in a different direction. You know, there's just a lot more people out there on public ground. There's a lot more money out there to pay the private people now. Um, and so it's harder to, to get on private ground than, uh, you know, it ever was in the, in the past, it seems like to me, um, you know, I'm finding that out everywhere I go. It's just a lot harder to get on that public ground, even if you've got money, uh, every now and then somebody will just, uh, you know, just latch you on, you know, if you get fortunate, knock on enough doors, but if you really want it, I think private ground is the way way to go a lot of times and and you've got to do your homework um you know pulling up the onyxes or the at the assessor's offices or whatever it takes to try to find out who owns what and uh and then you know the other thing of it is save up some money and go you know down you can go down to texas you know for for a couple thousand dollars or so and shoot some hogs or some kind of a little exotic animal or something like that. And, uh, you know, do something a little bit different and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyways. So I, yeah, I wanted to, uh, we'll, uh, make a few more points here and then wrap it up. And, um, yeah, I like to get back on and, and go through some more specific hunts. I think that articulating the the whole process of an actual hunt helps people understand uh what what all goes into it but um i think you know this has been kind of a thought of mine recently you know if somebody hasn't uh you know had a chance to do some of these hunts we're talking about the the really tough ones you know really the best way to find out if you can do it is to go do it you know or or you could even you know if you really wanted to you could you, you don't have to necessarily carry a weapon with you, but you could see how close you can get to an animal. Um, you know, nobody, I don't know that anybody really talks about that, but um, you know, you can go and try to stock up on a sheet without a sheep, without a weapon to see, Hey, can I actually do this? You know, or um, you know, like, you know, what we've done our whole lives is look for sheds and that's kind of another way to, to go up scout and, you know, get some, get some good conditioning at the same time. But, um, I think you, it's, it's, it's a way to see if you really got it in you, uh, to just go up, um, or whatever kind of hunt you're talking about, you know, obviously if it, if it's a public unit, you can go year round and see if you got the, I guess the metal, uh, in you to, to, to get the job done. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's becoming more of an issue with going into areas with people and, you know, it adds a, another challenge on top of uh, just the hunt itself. And, you know, I think that you can kind of work that in your mind to, to be a, a positive thing, you know, in a, in a way. I know a lot of us like to go up and hunt and be secluded and not have a whole lot of other people around, but that adds another challenging element to it. So I think that uh, that alone, if you if you end up being successful, even with more people in a particular area, um, maybe you, you feel even a little bit more proud of your success if you end up getting one, you know? So, um, but yeah, dad, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And I appreciate it. We'll have, I'm obviously going to have you on a bunch probably. And, um, I guess, uh, is there anything you want to no, add before um, we get off here? I just, uh, I think that's probably it. If you want to hear about some other hunts or something like that, just, you know, let me know, uh, you know, about that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, the one, I guess one other thing I would add is that, whether it's hunting or whatever it is in your life that uh, <clears throat> kind of grabs a hold of you, there's no uh, there's no substitute for God and family uh, before that. Don't ever try to get so obsessed with it because I know guys, some of the guys that uh, taught me how to hunt, you know, one of them been married and divorced several times. Uh, Chuck Adams, his wife couldn't take it anymore. That's what I 
herd anyway. You know, he was the first one to kill all 28 big game species and, you know, put them in the record book with his bow and all of that. And I guess it just depends on what you want, but, uh, you know, don't get so obsessed with your hunting and, and it, regardless what it is, but, you know, these guys can get so obsessed with their hunting. And I remember an outfitter that I used to guide for, you know, he ended up losing his whole family because of this obsession, you know, with hunting and having to be there. And I caught, you know, got myself caught up in that a little bit, even though I wasn't gone for, you know, any more than a day or two every now and then, you know, but sometimes when hunting season started, it was a day or two every week. It was every days off and all of that other and uh and then get your family involved in it it's not uh it's just not worth it to, uh, you know um, just do the right things of your family and your faith and and the other things will fall in fall into place so anyway that's a good good point so um yeah we'll go ahead and wrap it up there dad appreciate it okay and, talk uh, to you later we'll have you on again soon bye Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, if you guys want to check out, we have an Instagram page. It's hunt underscore harder. We also have a Facebook page, uh, hunt harder. And you can also follow me. Uh, it's actually Randall Bubba Path on Facebook. And then also on Instagram, Stonecutter SP. And uh, yeah, so there's some, uh, we're all we're, we're eventually going to have um, all uh, social media platforms and website and uh, we'll be rolling out training programs here shortly so if you guys have any questions you know obviously reach out to me um, if you have any suggestions as far as guests if you have any suggestions as far as sponsors um, any of that kind of stuff any ideas whatsoever actually uh, just reach out and um, be happy to consider whatever you uh, or whatever questions you have take care guys